Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week we're tackling the subject of inflation. What is it? How does it work? What's its impact on you? But perhaps most importantly, where are the investment opportunities? See you in the show. Hey there guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my co-host, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiu. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. B. Pleasure to be here and to pump up some ties or some air, however you want to call it. Let's talk about inflating and let's talk about inflation more specifically in the economy. Very good. Okay. Well, inflation in the economy is something you can't live with. You can't live without and is a very important thing to understand, yet so few people really appreciate the significance of it. So what have you got for me? Double-edged sword, I think. Inflation, it can be used for you and it can also go against you quite mm. heavily. Us consumers, obviously, we hate prices going up, but ultimately it has to happen. And I guess that poses the question as to what actually is inflation at its core, as its core definition? Okay, so inflation, you can use a lot of different everyday terms, but if you wanted to simplify it, it's effectively what prices increase by over time. You know, things used to be cheaper in the past, more expensive in the future. That effectively is inflation. It's measured using uh, a, a statistical measure called Consumer Price Index, or CPI, which is one of those headlines that you see thrown around. Not necessarily the best measure, but it's what it is. So we can probably explore a little bit about that uh, and how it's calculated and you know, what constitutes good inflation and what's not so good. Sure. So if we use the example just to, just to sort of flesh that out a little mm. bit more, if the CPI in 2020 was, let's say, 2%, does mm. that mean prices have gone up exactly by 2% on average? Yeah, so CPI is a calculation based on a basket. This is important to understand. Um, what the, um, the, 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 the calculation is based on is to say, okay, let's look at what households spend their money on. We put it in like a shopping trolley basket type thing, and then we'll look at the price of what that was last month versus what it is currently, and use that as a benchmark. Of course, the question is, what goes in that basket? Because it can actually be a little bit misleading and not necessarily pick up all the things that it should. Well, let's explore that. Why mm. is it misleading? And I know you and I have chatted about, say, house prices mm. versus rents. Yeah. Let's go through that. Okay, so at the moment we're sitting in Australia where we have an absolutely rampant property market, long way it continues. And, uh, and what we're seeing is capital prices of property going up virtually everywhere. In some places, I live in Byron's up 35, 40% last year. It's, it's bonkers, the growth that you're seeing. And obviously, as a household, if you want to live somewhere, you've got two choices, you can own or you can rent. If you're an owner, um, the cost of buying a property is not included in inflation. The cost of renting a property is. And there's a bit of a misnomer there, and apparently the reason is that buying a house is an asset, and assets aren't included um, in, in, in the CPI calculation, but rent as a regular expenditure is. So in that respect, it's, it's extremely misleading. And if we look at the, the figure for Australia at the moment, it's 0.9% on an, a, an annual basis. So prices at the moment are about 0.9% higher than what they were last year. But I think if you had the conversation with Joe Bagger Donuts, your average man on the street, and said, you know, how does it feel? Does it feel more expensive now or less expensive than a year ago? And if you look at some anecdotal evidence, take petrol, for example. Now, I filled my car up uh, just, um, I don't know, it was Easter, Monday before Easter, uh, $1.94 a litre. I, I don't get many litres out of my car either. So that's it's like, stiff. whoa, that's, that's, that's yeah. pretty expensive. And if you, if you look at petrol prices per se, buying fuel for your vehicle weekly, fortnightly, whatever it may be in your household, is one of the single largest household expenses. And, and we've seen prices you know, really drive up quite high, particularly through the volatility uh, in the petrol cycle. That's one thing. Talk about healthcare, and we've seen, what, eight or 9% increase in the cost of private health cover. Um, you know, and you could argue that it's about COVID. I don't think it is. I think it's just an opportunity to ratchet prices up. Uh, and you've seen, which is you know, manifestly higher. And again, for a lot of households, you know, that, that, private health cover of anywhere between say a thousand and three grand a year 
is a fairly substantial point of expenditure in your budget. Um, you know, and, and that bites. So to see that headline inflation is only going up at 0.9, yet we're seeing house prices go berserk, fuel prices massively high, um, private health cover going through the roof, and not many shops have got sales on. Take Harvey Norman or, or JB Hi-Fi. There aren't sales at the moment because consumer activity is so strong. We're seeing full prices for everything. I don't know. I, I think there's a big difference between CPI and the real cost of living that's out there, and that's important to understand. It's a great sort of rundown, and it poses the issue as to why haven't we seen wage growth at the same level? Because mm. wage growth really hasn't had much of an increase whatsoever in the last no. sort of you know five or so years here yeah. in Australia. Yet we're seeing the cost of living go up immensely. Yeah. Why is there such a disconnect? Look, and this is really important to understand. And you're quite right. You know, if you take the sort of preceding four or five years before COVID, there was not really any real wage growth uh, in the economy. You know, low, you know, one maybe you know point nine to one and a half percent wage growth, not three or four percent wage growth. And, and wage growth is very very important because when people earn more, they're able to spend more. And one of the big issues with property right now is property and the affordability is becoming very, very stretched. If you don't have wage growth, the ability for people to afford a property starts to get really, really stretched. And, and you get a huge imbalance within the economy between people that are in or out of the property market, the haves, the have not. And it can be through choice, but oftentimes it can also be through pricing. So it's important to understand. So that lack of wage growth is, is key. Secondly, a lot of wages and, and, and rents, for argument's sake, are also linked to inflation. If you think about commercial rent, it's normally you know, uh, the average, the, the, the annual CPI increase on your rent or two and a half percent, usually the greater of the two. Um, and so if you've got properties moving up massively in value, but rent is only increasing at say the CPI rate and wage growth isn't there to support more hikes in rent, you end up with a very, very overvalued property market, which is not good news for anybody that's, that's you know, caught on the wrong side of it. It's funny you say that, did some research just last mm. week on one of our weekly classrooms that found a statistic that homes are actually about 39% overvalued mm. at the moment. Uh, interesting statistic. It is, and uh, 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 it's such a huge stretch of that elastic band and it will snap back at some point. But yeah, this today's podcast is not about property, it's about inflation. And yeah, that lack of wage growth is a very, very important thing to understand because genuine growth within the economy, um, some inflation, in, and, and, and don't get me wrong, inflation is important. You have to have some level of inflation. And I think the RBA target rate is between two and 3%, which is about right. You know, if we look at inflation in the US, it's what's sitting about 1.4, 1.7%, here in Australia at the moment. The RBA's target is between two and 3%. Why would they have such a target? Well, you need prices to be increasing because it shows um, that your economy is strong and there's a demand for goods and that supports prices moving higher. To have that, um, you need two things. You need a workforce that are employed and we've got fairly low unemployment now. It's at five and a bit percent. Um, the RBA's target is about 4%. And, and, and that in itself is probably noteworthy. I mean, if you're in business, anyone listening to this podcast or watching this video today, if you're in business and you're trying to recruit, how hard is it to get people right now? <laughs> yeah, and apparently there are all these people looking for work, but they're not really looking for work or they're not showing up for interviews or they're not that keen we to tried. get in the job market. And yeah, I talk to a, a, a wide range of my peers and people I have dealings with in different areas of life. Everybody's got the same challenge. They cannot get staff right now. Um, and maybe that's because wage growth hasn't gone up and people aren't earning what they think they should be earning, uh, which is one factor. Or maybe there's not enough pain to get back in the workforce. That's a, a totally different conversation to be having. But if you've got a, a, a more full employment, 4% being the RBA's target, I don't see that a move down from five and a bit unemployment to 4% unemployment is all of a sudden going to create wage growth. Um, yeah, maybe you've got to pay more to attract talent, or maybe the people that aren't working simply don't want to work. Probably won't get a, get a bit of hate mail for that comment, but yeah, that seems to be the anecdotal view uh, when you're trying to hire at the moment. 
yeah, we love hate mail, so bring it on is what we say. <laughs> yeah. So got to have wage growth. Having prices moving higher is good because there's an incentive for people. Prices need to move higher, not too quickly, I guess. Sure. So some price hike, but not too much. Okay. And the idea of that is that if prices are moving up, there is an incentive to take action now. So if you're going to buy something, better to buy it today because it'll be more expensive next week. So there's an incentive for economic activity to happen, which keeps your economy moving. If you get the opposite of inflation, which is deflation, that is a disaster zone economically because prices are getting lower over time. So you say, okay, you want to go buy a new fridge or a new stereo or a new TV or whatever it might be. Don't worry about doing it today. Do it next week. It'll be cheaper. In fact, hang off. Don't even do it next week. Wait till next month. It'll be cheaper again. Isn't that great for the consumer though? Not really because no one ends up spending because they're all looking for the next best deal and they're waiting right. for prices okay. to drop. Slows down sales, slows down turnover in business, slows down economic activity. And that's why having that fire burning a little bit is absolutely crucial. But getting the balance right is key. And I think we're in for some tricky times ahead. Uh, with interest rates being as low as they are. And if we look at the US as an example, interest rates have been lower for longer. And this, I appreciate, is maybe reasonably technical. It's about economics, which isn't that exciting. We'll get on to how you can profit from this in just a few moments. But I do think it's important to understand you know, what's on the cover of the jigsaw puzzle box so you can see the picture sure. that we're aiming at here. So we look at the US, interest rates have um, been lower for a lot longer. You know, you've had, uh, you know, interest rates are effectively almost negative there if you look at the bond market um, you know, going back six, 12 months ago. Um, and as a consequence, there's a huge volume of money pumping into that economy to stimulate it. And you're starting to see inflationary pressures build. So inflation is good, but once the genie is out of the bottle, you've then got to try and rein it back in. So if you get rampant price hikes, that's a real problem too. You've got to try and keep a lid on it. It's such a fine balance that central banks have to deal with. And I think in Australia, with the commitment that our central bank, the Reserve Bank, have made to say, we will not move interest rates up until 2024 is a very, very dangerous statement to make. Because you're saying, it doesn't matter what the economics say, we're not moving on interest rates. And I think you know, having very low levels are resulting in this extended property market that we're seeing right now. Um, and sure, interest rates are low and you think it's good for business confidence, but business borrowing hasn't increased that much because there's too much uncertainty out there. So it's not gone into the job market to create that. It's just been cheap money that people have been able to borrow to buy property or and or um, buy goods and services, which we've seen with consumer spending going through the roof. Very dangerous, this could pop, you've got a big inflation problem. It really has been the buzzword too, the, the whole notion of inflation, especially in the US with bond yields, the mm. NASDAQ, uh, you know, valuations of, of future earnings and whatnot. It, it's really caused some havoc on the market, especially a couple of weeks back, we saw the NASDAQ really sell off due to that. Hmm. And I guess that poses the question as to why is it so topical hmm. and why does it have, if it's mainly economical, such an effect on financial markets? Oh, there's a big question, hey? And probably the most important question. Thanks for loading me up. Um, when we talk about yield, uh, we can talk about capital moves on, on an asset. You know, a share price can go up, a house price can go up, you know, bond prices can move around, but it's actually the percentage return income, which is what we call yield. So if we take the earnings on a share, and divide it by, uh, or the dividend on a share, and divide it by the share price, that gives you the yield. It could be three and a half, four percent a year is what you're getting paid as a yield, as an income from owning that share. If you're in property, if you take your rent and divide it by the value of the property, that effectively is giving you your yield. Obviously, you could do that on a gross or a net basis with property, depending on your finance and so on and so forth. Massively different number. If you're talking about bonds, the coupon, the income you receive from the bond divided by the bond price gives you the yield. And yields are very, very important to understand. Not overly exciting, but very, very important to understand. And if you have a situation where inflation is starting to gain momentum, as we've seen in the US, the view is then that, okay, if inflation is starting to go up, 
when inflation rises, so too do bond yields. Okay? Now, if bond yields go up, bonds all of a sudden can start to look relatively attractive because they're paying a higher yield than what you might be getting from your shares. And they're less risk, right? Lower risk. And as a consequence, you see money flowing out of the share market, the equities market, into the bond market, chasing a higher yield for a low level of risk. And we saw that periodically in the US where bond yields were actually uh, ticked up higher than what the hmm. average dividend yield on the S&P was, yeah. right? And, and look, in all fairness, you know, the dividend yield in the US is relatively low compared to Australia. They're different markets. US companies tend to be more growth focused where they have smaller dividends and, and, and reinvest in the business. In sure. Australia, we tend to pay our shareholders more. But that is a very, very important fundamental point. So when we saw that sell-off in markets, it was because in that moment of time, bond yields definitely uh, stripping the equity market yield for a low level of risk. So money is going to flow uh, from one place to another very quickly, and that's what effectively caused that sell-off. Now, of course, with share prices falling in a sell-off, then the yield goes back up and equilibrium is re-established again. Okay, so to play devil's advocate <laughs> here for you, that, that's, going on with there's this, right? a lot going on, yeah. and certainly our listeners have the benefit of going back and re-listening mm. to this. Mm. Now, if the, if the Fed or the Oz government, or, sorry, the Australian government, if they've got a target to increase inflation, so we're at 0.9%, we want mm. it to be between three and four, as you mentioned. Mm. If we increase inflation and that causes equity prices to sell off, isn't that bad? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The RBA's job is not to steward share markets any more than the Federal Reserve's job is to, you would think, uh, not steward through the share market as well. Yeah, they have a, 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 as, a as an independent body, and I'll put an asterisk after that and you can <laughs> say what you like uh, thereafter, but yeah, as an independent body, their job is to keep the inflation target within a, a range, specifically 2 to 3% here in Australia. Now, that can come at certain costs in that effort to get the inflation level to there and maintain it there. You can have a dramatic impact on unemployment. You can certainly, as we're seeing in Australia, have a dramatic impact on property. You know, our property market has been running pretty hard um, you know, for the last four years, 2017 post-election, since then through to the start of the COVID uh, uh, timeframe, you know, Australian property was running pretty hard. We had the pause and the potential collapse at the start of COVID, uh, vacancy rates going through the roof uh, in the CBDs, in apartments and things like that, and still being actually relatively high. The vacancy rate's actually very, very high in, in, in Sydney, Melbourne and CBDs because people have moved out, different areas, out to the suburbs, so, so forth, so on and so forth. Um, but then what you've seen is this resurgence in property and it's getting to the point where it's out of control. And, and, and that is a real, real problem because as soon as interest rates are moved up, which at some point they will have to be, and whilst the RBA may be resolute on not doing anything until 2024, I don't know that they're necessarily going to get to make that decision. If inflationary pressures continue to build, you know, take, you know, I've just done a build, I'm looking for a new site for another development right now, just in timber costs to build a house. Timber costs right now are 15% more than what they were this time last year. Ooh. And part of the reason for this is because of the everything you can blame COVID for, I suppose, yeah. uh, the, yeah, the, the COVID supply chain. Sure. And, and as a consequence, 15% more is what you're going to pay for the timber. Now, timber is the primary cost in building a house if it's a wooden framed house. Uh, and so there's a hidden cost that's pushing through on that inflationary side yet again. Um, so, yeah, this is a major, major problem. Add to that, you know, a property market that's literally gone off to the races. Yeah, will the RBA need to move? I think they're going to need to. They need to do something, whether they don't put interest rates up, maybe they increase um, APRA's guidance to banks to say, look, you can't lend at 20%, you've got a 30, 40% deposit to try and slow it down. Something needs to happen because if you let this thing run away and there's no wage growth following in behind it, when things correct, which they will, a small move in interest rates over here on a very leveraged position without any wage growth sitting behind it is a catastrophic recipe for people that have bought into the market at the heights. And you go, oh, you ride it out. 
how you know if you get a substantial fall in the property market you may need to top more into your account um, you know so you don't have a negative equity balance for example um, you know rents aren't growing because there's no wage growth to really speak of how do you service the debt becomes a problem negative gearing is great as long as you've got a big tax problem all very nasty so you know this inflationary figure is why we focus on it so much and it's why the rba is obsessive about it making sure it's in its bands so yeah that's in a nutshell a little bit about how inflation can kick things around obviously within that there are massive investment opportunities too. Yeah, how do we play this? Let's let's first mm. chat about what it means to be to, to trade inflation mm. and then also to invest in it because you can be on either side of the fence, mm. right? Yeah, I mean, it's something that's gonna happen for the reasons that we've talked of. At some point, if you keep pouring fuel on a fire, you know, your matches might be a bit damp, <laughs> but at some point when it's, and you go, oh, it's not lighting, I'll put more fuel on the matches. When it goes, it's gonna go. Okay, so um, yeah, it's gonna happen at some point. So how do you trade and profit from that? During times of inflation, real assets tend to grow in value. We've talked about property, and that's what I'm saying. If inflation is so low, how is property pushing in the way that it is? There's no real basis for it other than FOMO and, and a euphoria, and that's a very dangerous thing. I liken it to the tech sector in the sort of late 90s, early 2000. The bubble. Yeah, yeah the bubble. Um, so, you know, the, 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 there's that element behind it. But perhaps more importantly, other assets like gold, for example, have traditionally been seen as an inflation hedge. You know, in times of inflation, you buy gold. I think the new gold, and you can hear this come out of my mouth, as you know, is probably going to be crypto as an inflationary hedge, just because it operates as an independently um, correlated asset outside of the traditional world. And if sure. you've got inflation, you've got a very good chance of having a, a good inflation hedge with crypto. So gold, crypto are two examples. Property is another one. In times of inflation, the stock market tends to do quite well. Why? Because they're real assets. If there's inflation, it means there's lots of economic activity. Lots of economic activity means companies make lots of profit and the price moves up. So is there a way as a trader to gain exposure to the upside on inflationary pressures in the stock market as look, such? You, you, you can look to trade stocks, which is a fairly blunt instrument because you've got to be able to find the right kind of stocks. Some stocks perform far better during inflationary environments than others. So for example, the banks typically would do very, very well in those circumstances. If you look at retail, it would typically do very well in those circumstances. And some of your de the more defensive type plays, um, you know, your Telstra's, for example, your Ryzen's, things like that, they tend to do less well in those sets of circumstances. Okay, so the, you've got to be fairly stock specific. For my mind, the purest play, the purest play is to say, okay, the, there's no financial instrument, well, there probably is somewhere, but there's no real financial instrument that's a direct play on inflation. So we've got to look for a proxy, something that, that reacts in the same or a correlated way to that. And trading bond yields, I think, is probably the purest way because if you have inflationary pressure, bond yields go up. Okay, that's a correlation between them. So how do you trade bond yields? Well, you can trade in bonds. Not the easiest thing to do as a retail investor. Um, you can do it, but it's not easy. You need a decent amount of coin to do that. So instead, my go-to instrument, I might tell you after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my go-to instrument in that, there's a, for example, this is one of many, um, you know, TBT in the US, which is an exchange traded fund. Uh, and what TBT is, uh, and again, this has been quite a technical podcast, um, but what TBT is, is an exchange traded fund that invests in US treasuries. And effectively, it's a short play on US treasuries. In other words, if bond yields go up, US treasury prices go down. That's the relationship, they're inversely correlated. So if you've got inflation moving higher, bond yields are gonna go higher, and TBT is gonna fall in value, or sorry, um, bond prices are gonna fall in value. TBT is an ultra short US bond prices, and therefore, if bond prices fall, TBT goes up in value. Sure. Now, that would be my go-to, very tightly correlated play. There's a lot going on. Inflation's got to be going up. 
meaning bond yields will rise, meaning bond prices will fall, meaning an ultra short on bond prices <laughs> is going to go up. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, reach out, we can explain it with a whiteboard, whatever. But yeah, that's, that's my go-to play in times of inflation. Very, very lucrative. We saw um, you know, just in the time when the NASDAQ came off, we saw TBT put on close to 25% gain sure. over about five or six days of time. So it's a very good responsive instrument to use at that time. So that's my go-to play. GovT is another one too, GOVT, yeah. that's our long, long bond yields, I believe. Yeah. So it works much the same, mm. just a little bit less confusing as such. There you go. Make it simple. That's what it's all about. I like that. So GovT or uh, TBT are two places to play. You can do options over TBT too, so you can get some income to cover call over it. Happy days. Great. And look, we can certainly teach a lot of our listeners how mm. to do that, AB. So as we come to the end of the broadcast, mm. there's certainly been a lot in this to unpack and very, very technical, <laughs> as you mentioned. What are your final parting words here to cap this off? Don't get caught up in... The jargon. I'm an economist by qualification. I've also been trading for 30 years. So this is second nature to what I do and how we help our clients. So please don't get bogged down in the technicalities of this. Understand that inflation isn't just a headline. There is something behind it. It's also a very deceptive, in my opinion, and misleading headline because it doesn't necessarily reflect the real cost of living that we're in. You know, you go and buy a case of beer, and I'm now I'm using some you know, petrol. Um, uh, Go for a coffee, um, private healthcare, your rent or your house price. Add in a slab of beer. You know, you go to Dan Murphy's, you're paying 70 bucks for a slab of beer. Now, Easy. don't tell me that prices are not going up <laughs> when you see that. And you could argue, oh, that's the glass tax because it's a glass bottle, which is why everything's in Canada. Yeah, there's always a story behind it. Understand that CPI or inflation measures a fairly narrow thousand or so items that households spend their money on. And it isn't necessarily a true reflection of what's going on. So that's going to be a shadow of what's going on in the real world, which I believe is why we see you know, inflation as measured by CPI at 0.9%. In reality, it's probably closer to 2 or 3%. Um, the RBA wants CPI to be at 2 to 3%, which means the real world costs are going to be it's significantly higher. Crazy. If you don't have wage growth following behind that, there's going to be a lot of pain. The haves and the have-nots. If you haven't had wage growth, life is sort of stretching away and becoming increasingly unaffordable, just as the property market is for a lot of people. We're also seeing that the rents, and these are all related to this, rents might be creeping up, but they can't keep up with the rampant growth in property. If you get a 40% growth in property prices, you can't jack rent up by 40% because there's no wage growth to support that. Simple as that. Um, these will all have an immediate and dramatic knock-on. Uh, if you see inflation jag up, you're going to see equity markets stutter, as we've already seen, and that will continue to happen. Jag up in inflation, we're going to see equity markets sell off until balance is resumed in there. When that happens, you go to play, GovT, thanks for that, no or, or TBT are giving you a couple of plays that you can then take out to profit from that move up in inflation. This is not basic stuff. And normally in money and investing in our show, you know, we keep things fairly meat and potatoes. And when you challenge me with our title today, we can talk about inflation. It's like, okay, how can I, how can we make this meat and potatoes that people understand? Because it is, is it's, a, it's a simple thing, but it's so, so far reaching in its consequences that you kind of have to look and think and see in three dimensions to understand what's going on here. Don't get buried in that. Understand that with low interest rates, inflation will kick in when it does. You're going to see a slide in equity markets, but what you'll also see is an opportunity in stocks like TBT or GovT to be able to profit over there. That's why it's important to be nimble. That's why it's important to be educated to know, here's some news. Join the dots to the trade and join the dots to your bank account and make some profit. And if you put it in really simple terms, that's what we're talking about. Inflation, there's the trade, there's the profit. And that's what we're here for. Thank you very much, AB. That's a great explanation. Great way to finish that too. So thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Mitch. Thanks very much. There you have it, guys. Give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to seeing you in next week's show.